Good morning, church. We're just going to dive right in and uh, just want to start by reading a passage from the book of John to you guys. So uh, hear the word of the Lord. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered them flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Amen, right? <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord. Anybody have trouble focusing? How many of you that video made you cringe a little bit, made you a little tense? Yeah. How many of you watched that video and said, that's my life? And how did you get my child on that footage? So much gets lost in the noise of our lives. I believe that we want peace in our lives and we want better focus in our lives and we want to spend time with God and we want to hear from him and listen to him, but our lives continue to go on at this kind of pace and the noise just continues to roll and roll and roll and we never exactly find that. And we say things like this. We say, well, as soon as this project at work is over, I'll have a little free time. Or as soon as my kids get into school, or middle school, or high school, or out of the house, whatever stage you want your children in, as soon as they get there, I'll have a little peace around here. As soon as I finish this project, next week, next month, next year, as soon as, one day, I will get there, there will be peace, but guess what? It doesn't usually work that way. We're, we're wired for busyness. Because busyness to us means productivity. And busyness to us means worth. And a lack of busyness in our lives, a, a stillness in our lives, means lazy. It means less worth or worth less. And so we're wired for this busyness to jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and just keep going at this frenetic pace, never pausing to listen, never pausing for peace. Last weekend, we kicked off a new series, Spiritual Apps. And it's about spiritual disciplines. There's a quote from Richard Foster that we talked about last week. A spiritual discipline is a spiritual practice that takes you to Jesus. And that's what we want to talk about. We're going to talk about some great things, scripture reading and scripture memorization and gratitude and fasting and play. All of these practices intended to take us to Jesus. These aren't like magic things that if we do them, all of a sudden our life is 100% better. Or these aren't things that you could put on a list and then just go through and check off, I'm a way better Christian because I did this, 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 and this. No, these are things to take us to Jesus, a place that we should be spending more time. Practices that take us to Jesus is something that we should long for. And so this week, we're going to talk about listening. 
and what it means to be good listeners. Because the same way that God called us into relationship, that God called us into his family, that God calls us to holiness, that God calls us to peace, that God calls us to freedom, God also calls us to listen to him. God wants us to build listening into our lives. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 and 13 and Mark 4 and Luke 14, he says this, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone with ears to hear should listen. This is so important, and it's so important that we're doing listening first because so many of the other disciplines hinge upon if we're good listeners. And so we need to get this down. But this is also so elusive because listening takes stillness. It takes peace. It takes quiet. And those are usually things that we don't have in our lives. And so I want to ask you this morning, is listening something that is a part of your relationship with Jesus? Would you say listening to Jesus is something that you've built into your everyday world? Do you listen? Are we good listeners? Is listening a part of the way that we interact? We're going to read a great story from the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to just grab one out of the pew there, it's on page 574. Just a little background to this story. 1 Kings chapter 18 is one of the great stories in the Old Testament. It starts at the beginning of 18. There's this three-year drought that's happening, and this drought is leading to famine, and this famine is leading to people being a little bit on edge. So we have the prophet Elijah, and he rolls into town, and uh, he meets with the king, King Ahab. And King Ahab, he's like, what are you doing here, you troublemaker? And Elijah's like, I'm not the troublemaker, you're the troublemaker. And Ahab's like, I know you are, but what am I? And they get back and forth on this little diatribe back and forth. It's, it's, it's good reading. And then eventually it comes to this showdown, right? So you have a bunch of false prophets. You know, the Bible says there's like 400, and then there's 450 extra ones, who, and then there's just a bunch of false prophets. And then there's Elijah, And they go up on this hill, and they have two altars and two sacrifices. And so the deal is this. False prophets, if your gods are real, you'll pray to them, and he will fall and light this on fire. And Elijah says, if my God is real, I will pray to him, and this will. And so Elijah's like, you go first. You won the toss. They're okay. And so they pray. Morning, long into the afternoon, they're crying out. And uh, at this point, you get to see Elijah's spiritual gift of sarcasm. This is where I connect with him a little bit in this story. He starts to, like, as the afternoon goes on, and they've been crying out for a long time, and everybody's watching them, and, and uh, he starts to say stuff like, oh, maybe you better cry out louder. Maybe, maybe he's daydreaming. Maybe your God's daydreaming. Or maybe he's away relieving himself. Maybe you should shout louder. He might be on vacation, he might be sleeping, keep shouting. And so he's kind of taunting them. And, and I don't know if uh, everybody else was laughing, but I would have been laughing. And finally, he goes, no, it, it's not working. What you're doing is not working. It's my turn. So he has 12 jars of water brought and poured on top of his altar, which again, it's three years of drought. Can you see them pouring all that water on there? And everyone's like, oh, I'm so thirsty. He's pouring water on that thing pours 12 jars of water on it. He stands up and he prays this prayer. He says, God, answer me so that they may know you and know that you are drawing them to yourself. And just, boom, fire falls immediately and 
burns up the sacrifice and the wood and the rocks and all the water and just all whew, gone. Pretty apparent who wins, right? If you're standing around, you're like, oh, I'm on his team. And so it doesn't turn out well for the 450 false prophets. They get, and uh, Ahab and Queen Jezebel are super angry, and they're like, we're, we're killing Elijah. And so then we have chapter 19, Elijah running away, fearing for his life. And that's where we're going to pick it up. God has just showed up, chapter 18, he has showed up in power. In chapter 19, he's going to show up in relationship. God is choosing to reveal himself to Elijah in a special way. Verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. You kind of get this picture of him just wandering into the wilderness. There's shade. He's spent. He's tired. People are trying to kill him. He is just done doing, and so he just falls asleep. He lay down, and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he went back to sleep. And the angel of the Lord comes again and touches him and says, get up, eat some more. The journey ahead will be too much for you. And I love this. If we pause here just at the beginning of this story, God's about to reveal himself to Elijah, but you, you see that what he takes care of kind of first is this, I tell you what, you need some sleep, and you need to eat and God takes care of this for him. Have you ever had a day where you, you wake up and you're like, I'm gonna spend time with God today. And you go through your whole day and it's just busy. It's just one thing after another and it just keeps getting pushed back. And you get to the end of your day and you're like, oh yeah, I was gonna spend time with God. I'll do that real quick. So you sit down and your time with God looks like this. And you're just out, right? And then you wake up and, you, and we've probably all done this. You wake up and you're like, oh, I was praying right? You're just spent. Your life is just so busy and crazy, and you're just so out of control with the pace of your life that what you really need is sleep. David says in Psalm 63, he says, on my bed, I remember you. And that doesn't usually work for me. On my bed, I pretty much remember I'm sleeping. And then I wake up in the morning, right? But God, he takes care of this need. He's like, what? you need some rest, Go ahead and sleep. I'm going to feed you here. And, and what he fed him was amazing, some kind of angel food cake and Red Bull, because it says, <laughs> I don't, whatever it was, it was good, because it says he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Like, that's a meal. I got to get me some of that. But he went to Mount Sinai, to the mountain of God, and there he came to a cave where he spent the night. And this is fascinating as well because Mount Sinai is where we read in Exodus 33 that God revealed himself to Moses. And a lot of theologians think that probably it was even the same cave, that Moses was there and that's where God revealed himself. And so many years later, Elijah's there and God is about to reveal himself to Elijah. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I don't think this is, you know, a pointed question or a sarcastic, I don't think he's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? I think it's a question to just kind of, to get at the root, to get at the need. Elijah, what is it? 
What is it that you want? Why are you here? Elijah, what's going on? It's this kind of question of relationship. And Elijah replies, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. He kind of lists three things. God, I've served you. I've followed you, but your people have done these three things. And these are three ways to not hear from God. These are three things as to why the nation of Israel wasn't hearing from God at this time, why they were acting out. First of all, this, broken their covenant. See, they made a covenant to say, okay, God, you're our God, we'll be your people, we'll follow you, we'll do what you say. But they broke that covenant, which means, okay, I'm not following you anymore. I'm going to follow my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to get busy with my own stuff. The second thing, it says, they've torn down your altars. They've torn down these places of remembrance. They've torn down these places where they would gather and remember and worship. And so they said, okay, these aren't things that we need anymore. I don't want to remember that stuff from the past. I don't want to meet at those places and worship that God. And the third thing they did was they they killed the prophets, which means they took the people out of their lives that were speaking the truth. They took the people out of their lives that were speaking what God wanted them to say about right and wrong. So if you're going through life and you're like, well, I don't hear from God ever, maybe those are some of those things. Maybe you chose to follow and you turned away. Maybe you've forgotten all the things that God has done. Maybe you removed the truth from your life. He goes on to say this, I'm the only one left, God, and they're trying to kill me too. God, this line of work that you called me to, pretty poor. There's a high mortality rate for prophets these days. So God says this, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So God kind of shows up, and then all these things happen, and there's this wind that can shatter rocks in this earthquake, in this fire. And I think this is all the stuff that Elijah kind of wanted from God, At this point, like Elijah, I think if he's thinking, he's like, yeah, God, why don't you go visit Jezebel with that wind? Why don't you shatter the two of them? That's the, that's what I want to see. But oftentimes I think this is, this is how we view God. These things are fierce. These things are amazing. These things leave us in awe, but these things are also terrifying. And I think we view God this way. Like if I go and if I sit with God, That's how he's going to be, that God is a fierce God. And I don't want to go and spend time with a God who's going to earthquake all over my life. Like, that doesn't sound very appealing to me. And we have this view of God. That's how God reveals himself in the fierce things. If God wants to get my attention, God can break through the noise of my life, right? When I was in middle school, um, I shared a room with my middle brother, and, and one night there was a storm going on outside, but we were inside making more noise than the storm. Uh, we were playing uh, old school Atari uh, with just the one joystick and the red button. For those of you who remember, that was probably the only time I understood video games and could play them. We were playing Tank, 
the tank game that came with it. You shoot a little square at each other. It was awesome. Uh, and we had the stereo blasting, and uh, my brother had a thing for Men at Work, so I'm sure Men at Work was on playing. And we were being loud and noisy and joking back and forth with each other, and the volume was going up. And then all of a sudden, lightning struck our house. Just boom, this deafening noise. And it knocked me to the floor. And I don't know if it was force or fear that knocked me to the floor, but I knew I was on the floor, and I felt really tingly. And everything stopped. You know, the power went out, so the music was gone, and the video games were gone, and the lights were out, and everybody was still. If God wants to get our attention, he can get our attention. He can break through the noise of our lives. He can put us on the ground. And so, God, if you want my attention, I'm a busy man, so just lightning bolt me, and we'll be good. But that's not how God chose to reveal himself to Elijah. It wasn't in a wind that shatters rocks. It wasn't in the earth shaking. It wasn't in this fire. It says, after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. When Elijah heard the gentle whisper, literally that phrase means a, a sound of soft stillness. What does that sound like? What does the sound of soft stillness sound like? Literally, some translations say silence. So, so how did Elijah know? I mean, there was the wind, that wasn't God. There was an earthquake, that wasn't God. There was a fire, that wasn't God. But there's more stuff that could have happened. You know, he could have been back there with a checklist. Well, I haven't seen hail yet. Not going out there. Bad stuff can happen. Tsunami hasn't rolled through here, so that's... But when there was the sound of stillness, when there was the sound of silence, Elijah knew Elijah knew that that's how God was revealing himself. Because it wasn't a silence that was emptiness. We're familiar with silence that's emptiness. But this silence wasn't empty. This silence was immeasurably different. This silence was filled with the presence of God, the presence of God that stirs our souls. And so Elijah went out and he entered in. God's not calling us to silence that is emptiness. God's calling us to his presence. And this is how God was saying, Elijah, I am here. I want you to listen to me. I'm about to speak. But it started with God revealing himself in this silence. But stillness and listening makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? There's something about silence and listening that it, it, we have to shut up. We have to stop moving. We have to be still, things that we're not good at. I read a quote this past week from Henry Nouwen. It says this, to bring some solitude into our lives is one of the most necessary but also most difficult disciplines. As soon as we are alone, without people to talk to, books to read, TV to watch, or phone calls to make, an inner chaos begins. 
This chaos can be so disturbing and so confusing that we can hardly wait to get busy again. Right? Have you ever had that experience? You get a few moments and it's really quiet and you just, I can't turn my brain off. It's just going, 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 going. And wow, it's just easier to not have that. I think sometimes in the quiet, we're afraid of what we might find. As a matter of fact, I think oftentimes the noise of our lives is meant to cover up the noise of our hearts and our minds that we don't want to deal with. We're addicted to busyness, and when we stop and when we're still and all this confusing noise starts, that's not good, so we might as well start back up again. Besides, busyness is is heroic. Oftentimes our lives are defined by our activity. That's why we ask people, what is it that you do? What do you do? What do you do? That's like our first question. What do you do? I've been a youth pastor for 19 plus years and I've had a lot of people ask me, what do you do? But they ask me from maybe a different perspective. They want to know, what, I, what is it that you do? I know you're a youth pastor, but like, what do you do? You work a little bit on the weekend and play with kids, right? And I'm like, I've had people say, well, I wish I had that job. That sounds awesome. And I'm like, yeah. Mm. So I have this little insecurity in me that's like, I can be just as busy as you, even busier. Sometime, one time a person asked me after a Mexico missions trip, how was your vacation? (laughs) I had that little twitch. (laughs) This busyness, we gotta stay busy because busy is productive and busy is value. And if I'm quiet, the noise is too much and I don't wanna hear it. Even this past week, I'm prepping for this message, so I go over to the uh, upper room in one of the prayer closets, and I've got time carved out, and so I sit down, and I'm like, okay, God, here's, here's where we're headed. I'm telling him this. Uh, here's, I'm, I'm teaching on listening this weekend, and I wanna tell this story, and I wanna read this passage, and I think I wanna have this in my message, and uh, let's do this thing. And uh, I felt like God was saying to me, Will you be still and listen to me? And I was like, honestly, I'm like, God, I have a two-hour window here to get this done. And then I have another meeting. So, I mean, I can be still tomorrow. I got a little 15-minute window for you there. Um, But I need something for this week, and I don't want to stand up on stage and embarrass the family. Uh, I need to have a little something to give. And God's like, are you gonna practice what you preach? Will you be still? And it was such a battle for me. Yeah, I can be still if you're giving me really good stuff. (laughs) Quickly. I have other things to do. I'm struggling with the stillness. I'm struggling with the listening myself. God's not asking us to turn off our brains. God's not calling us into this chaos of the mind. God's not calling us into a stillness that is emptiness. God's calling us expectantly into his presence. God's calling us to sit with him and listen. We have a God that has a lot going on in this world, but he wants to specifically talk to each and every one of us. He has things to say to us. If we're listening, does God still speak to us? Yes, he does. God speaks to us in a lot of different ways. God speaks to us through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is right and wrong in our lives. 
All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is out of the mouth of God. So is God speaking to us? Yes, he is through his word. God speaks to us through teachers and preachers as well. If you look at Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to a bunch of things, but the first thing on the list is the apostles' teaching. And I know it sounds a little self-serving, right? You should listen to the preacher, especially the young guy on the platform. The youth pastor, listen to him. There's all kind of things that sounds self-serving, but God speaks to us through preaching because it's stuff that we don't usually think about or we wouldn't process it that way and we get to hear in community and there's accountability there. God speaks to us through significant others in our lives, through our spouses, through family, through trusted friends. My wife will share stuff with me that just clicks sometimes and I'm like, wow, I've lived with myself for a long time but I never knew that about myself, thank you. God speaks to us through circumstances. Through the things that we're going through, he speaks to us through those things. And God speaks to us in the still, small voice. God speaks to us in the stillness and in the quietness of his presence. And that's the one I think that throws us off a little bit. How do we get that? What does that look like? I've been processing this over the past few weeks, uh, and I've been processing it with some of the guys that I get to work with, some of the guys that volunteer with student ministry. And so I'm gonna ask them to come up and share just a little bit As we process this, I'm going to ask Brandon and Tim to come up and share. And uh, Brandon works with student ministry, and uh, he's a relatively uh, new believer. And uh, Tim also works with student ministry, and he's a relatively slightly older than new believer. (laughs) Yes. So they're going to just share a minute what it looks like. Go ahead. So again, my name is Brandon. I'm 21, and I've been a Christian for like four years now. Uh, And it wasn't until like the the end of my high school career where I really felt this call for missions in my life. But even so, I was still going to go to Chemeketa Community College and, you know, do what I thought I was supposed to do, right? And so I show up to the orientation for Chemeketa, and while I'm sitting there with some of my friends who I was going to go to school with, I felt like God was saying, you're not going to be here long. You're not going to be with these people much longer, which, to be honest, I didn't even know God had a voice at this point. So it kind of scared me. Um, but, so I go through the rest of the orientation, go home and look into something called YWAM, which all I knew from that was a ropes course out in South Salem. Turns out it's a missions organization. The next week and a half, I leave for the next two years to be in Asia in missions, you know, and God radically changed my life. And I'm, I'm glad that God spoke that to me, you know, and, and called me out of Shemekka for that season to, to be in missions. Um, and as far as, like, making, listening to God's voice a, a practice in my life, I... I feel most awake and most alert and most prone to God's voice at night. Uh, in the evening, about that hour before I go to bed, before I even get in my bed, you know, and I'm in the silence and the stillness where I can set aside my schedule and everything else and the business in my life and be with God, you know. And that's the time when I grab out my journal uh, and I write down the things that I feel like God is speaking to me, you know. And the awesome thing about that is you can, you can step back and, you know, a week or two later, you can say, hey, I remember when God... I wrote this down, that God said this promise to me, or, you know, God spoke this encouragement to me. And the awesome thing about that is you see how that is fulfilled, and you see, you know, that God does speak through that way, and it's an awesome way to keep record of that, too. And I, I lead a small group of guys, uh, junior guys in high school, who wanted to know more of what it looked like to listen to God's voice a couple of weeks ago, and so we talked about, you know, hearing God's voice and pursuing that and listening, and an application I gave for them was to put a penny in their shoe. 
And every time as they go throughout their day and they feel that penny in their shoe to stop and say, God, I know you're here. I know you're involved in my life. What do you want to speak to me? And it worked. <laughs> a, week, a week later, we came back together and the guys in my group were like, gosh, I had no idea that God would want to speak to me when I'm at school. <laughs> you know, I had no idea God was, you know, with me when I was with my friends after school and we were hanging out, you know. And one of my favorite things about having a relationship with God is it works both ways. You know, you can come to God and you can say what's on your heart and you can pray, and, but also God wants to come and speak back to you. And that's one of my favorite parts and the most affirming thing that there's a relationship with God. Hi, I'm Tim. <clears throat> Early on, we, Brian referred to the roses, and uh, Tristan uh, gave his life to God just recently when he was about five. I started my journey about five. And like Tristan, uh, I discovered God cleansing my heart. He's been doing that for years. And uh, in the last number of years, I've been thinking that, you know, if, if the Holy Spirit dwells in my heart, then wouldn't he want to rearrange things? Wouldn't he want to maybe take some of my stuff and chuck it out and replace it with better stuff? So I'm experiencing that, that cleansing, that, that redecorating, as it were, in my heart as I give him more and more space in my heart. Uh, and unlike my friend Brandon here, I am wired uh, as a morning person. And uh, I will wake up early in bed and... Uh, and look over at the clock, and uh, this morning it was like 2.30 when I first woke up, and, and I'll doze, and I'll uh, come back to, and uh, it's not time to get up yet, so I'll start praying, and uh, so I, I lay there, and I'll pray for, I'll thank God for his presence, and uh, his work in my life, and my family, and my business, and all this stuff, and, and just commune with God, then I'll get up eventually, and I'll head over to my shop over here, and sit down at the desk, and uh, I'll read, and I'll journal, and I'll pray, and uh, it's just that relationship with God that allows me to hear him sometimes right then and experience his presence, but quite often it's later in the day in other circumstances. Uh, back when we were uh, on the last day of our building thing in Mexico this, this spring break, uh, I experienced a direct answer to prayer, I had uh, uh, was finishing up working on this door, and some of the kids were sitting on the hillside over there, and uh, I dropped a hinge pin out of the hinge for this door, and it was a critical piece of hardware, and uh, and I couldn't find it, and I asked a couple of the kids with better eyes to come over and help me look for it, and we were looking in the sawdust and flipping over blocks, and and I started praying. I said, Lord, show me where this hinge pin is. We need this hinge pin to finish the job. And the question that came back was, did it hit the ground? And I thought, what does that mean? And I looked, in my nail, I looked down in my nail bags, and there's the hinge pin right there. Um, yesterday, I'm, I'm stopped at this stoplight on uh, I-5 and uh, 22 down here. There's a guy sitting there with a sign, and I usually ignore those people and think, why don't they get a job? And... Uh, but yesterday, God said, uh, give that guy your homemade cookies. So I looked over at my Tupperware thing at cookies that I had made, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, argued with, started arguing with God about how long this light was going to stay red. 
And uh, anyway, I eventually rolled my window down and gave the guy the cookies. And, and I don't know if he needed my cookies, but I needed to be obedient. I needed to give him my cookies. So uh, the, the passage that uh, Brian was reading while everything was going on earlier in John, uh, Jesus talks a lot about sheep and hearing his voice. And for me, uh, it's that relationship. The, the closer I draw to him, the easier it is for me to hear his voice. And if he's, if he's uh, going to speak like he did to Elijah in a really still, small voice, then I need to be listening even closer. Thanks, guys. cool to hear stories about God speaking in their lives, but there's just so many stories that we could tell because we have a God who is speaking to us, and are we listening? And I know that this can be a dangerous practice. I think there's some fear. If you haven't jumped in yet, there's some fear of jumping in because there's these questions of like, what if, what if God doesn't show up? What if I say, okay, I'm going to carve out some time, and what if God doesn't say anything to me? That's worse than not doing it at all because I'm sitting here and I'm saying, okay, God, show up, and then nothing happens. That, that could wreck my faith. But I want to say have faith. Trust that God is going to show up. I want to give you just a few things as we begin this process of these disciplines together. This is huge. And I want to give you a few things to keep in mind as you think about beginning a practice like listening. First of all, when you go into this, you need to put your agenda aside. Oftentimes we come to God with an agenda, and it's usually in the form of prayer requests, and we usually come to him and we say, okay, God, um, thanks for this day. That's how we start all prayers. And uh, uh, this, that, this, that. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you give me that? Can you put that person in their place? Uh, all these kind of things. Amen. Done. Out. Came to God, gave him my agenda. I'm out. When you come to this time of listening, you have to put your agenda aside. Agenda is like you are in control. Agenda is like, okay, I'm doing my thing. I'm in control. When you set that aside, you want to say, God, I want to hear from you. I want you to speak to me. I am listening to what you would have say to me, not what I would speak to you. And you need to put aside your to-do list, this mental to-do list that happens every time you get a little bit of quiet. Your mind starts going, well, okay, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to buy that. You need to put that aside and trust that this is not wasted time. And with putting away your to-do list, you have to put away your scorecard. Listening to God is not about winning and losing. You see, we think if we come and if we sit and God speaks to us, winner. But if he doesn't, loser. Like that was a waste of time. No. Listening is about showing up, staying quiet, putting away your agenda, and letting God speak. Or it's about showing up and sitting in the presence of God. Not emptiness, but presence. And be patient with this. Be patient with this. We want things to happen right away. We want God to come speak to us right away, and that's it, and we're done. Be patient. These things take a while. To listen and to understand the voice of God takes a while. It takes a while to recognize. It takes a while to understand. Back when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, 
A young man went into a telegraph office to apply for a job as a Morse code operator. He'd read about it in the paper, and he shows up for the job. And when he walks in, it's a big, noisy office, a reception area, a little office closed in, and just a lot of noise happening. And there's a sign on the reception desk that says, you know, sign in here, write your name, and have a seat. So he does that, and he sits down, and there's a lot of other people waiting to apply for this job. And about two minutes later, he stands up, and he walks through the door into the one office. And everybody else sitting there is like, what's his deal? Why did he do that? We've been sitting waiting. So weird. A couple minutes after that, the boss comes out, arm around this guy's shoulder. Uh, The young man got the job. The rest of you can go. And everybody's like, whoa, wait a second. We were all here first. You didn't even interview us. You don't know us. How did he get the job? And the boss says, well, the whole time that all of you were sitting here, being tapped out in Morse code was this. If you understand this message, the job's yours. Just get up and walk through that door. (laughs) And they were like, oh, sorry. See, the message was there, but only one person was listening. The message is there. God wants to speak to us. Are you tuned into that? Are you listening? Is it a part of your practice? God has so many things that he wants to say to us.